This is BPN Radio, your 24-hour Internet prayer station with Dale Gentry and friends. Calling America to pray. A member of the Breakout Prayer Network. Let's pray, America. It's time now for the Warriors Watch with Pastor Callie Hargraves here on BPN Radio. Second Chronicles 23.6 says, And all the people shall keep the watch of the Lord. Now, here's your host for the Warriors Watch, my friend, Callie Hargraves. Good morning. This is Pastor Callie with Warrior Watch. We're so excited today here on October the 26th to have one of my dearest friends, Jessica, Pastor Jessica Robbins from uh, the Golden Triangle area. They pat her and Donnie Pastor a beautiful church, live church there. And they're doing so much for the kingdom of God, all types of outreach and women's ministries and just really in the trenches making a difference in Texas. We're so proud to have her. She's an amazing Bible teacher all in her own right, and uh, she's going to be talking to us today about uh, the equipping of the bride, and so I'm really excited about that. I also want to encourage you, if this is your first time to uh, listen to Warrior Watch, uh, this is an amazing ministry. Pastor Dale and Jean Gentry are doing an amazing job with the BPN radio. We want to encourage you to get involved, to uh, support this ministry. It's a ministry dedicated to raising uh, the church and the body of Christ up in 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 the uh, whole area of prayer, calling us to a time of prayer. We believe that everything that God does on the earth is done through prayer. Prayer is such a key. So we're going to be talking today about uh, equipping the bride. I'm so excited to have you, Jessica. Thank I'm you for being excited to be here. Well, we're we are thrilled. Can you give us? Just, I want you to just teach me today. I'm so excited about hearing this. You've been teaching a study on equipping the bride and the Song of Solomon. So let's just get started and, and delve right in. All right. That sounds good to me. Well, we're going to talk about the church being the bride of Christ. Absolutely. And it's from the Song of Solomon. And the Song of Solomon, I think, is one of the most uh, misunderstood books of the Bible. It's really not a book about SEX. It is a book about us. And it's right. a book from our bridegroom to us and how much he truly loves us right. as as his bride and as his church. And so, and it's really important, I think, that we see ourselves as how he sees us, especially in these last days. In the end times, it's important that we are equipped and we know that he is for us and he is not against us. And so we're going to look, we're just going to take a journey through the Song of Songs and we're going to land in chapter seven. But before we get there, I just want to take you on just a short overview of what's happening, um, I believe, in the Song of Songs. And it starts talking about the bride of Christ, but we have to know first, what does it mean to be the bride of Christ? Well, if you look at the word bride, uh, the way it originally was in Genesis, it means helpmeet. God saw that Adam wow. needed a helpmeet, and so that's why he created Eve in Genesis 2.18. But if you look up the word helpmeet in Hebrew, it's a military word, and it wow. speaks about strength, and it speaks about power, and it's a combination of two root words that actually mean to rescue and to save and to be strong. So that's who God says that his bride is. His bride is strong, and his bride is sent here to rescue. Well, who are we sent here to rescue? We're empowered with the Holy Spirit, and we're sent here to be ambassadors of his here on the earth. And so that's what he's called us to be. And so that's how he needs us to see ourselves. And we're supposed to exercise authority and strength from Holy Spirit. And that's what he does. Um, And we do that so that we can engage the enemy and subdue the adversary. 
So how does our adversary come at us, though? He comes with hatred. He comes with pride. He comes with offenses. He comes with division. All these things that we see happening right now on our earth, that's what... That's what Song of Solomon tells us. Those things are going to happen. But how do we fight those battles? We're supposed to fight those battles with the the power of God's love and the authority of him as our bridegroom and as our commander. Because, see, we're much needed here on this earth. There's 7 billion lives at stake. And we're supposed to live from the viewpoint of victory and not the viewpoint of defeat. Um, We are supposed to be on the offensive, not on the defensive, uh, because we're a whole lot needed. So the Song of Solomon, it's a book smack in the middle of the Bible, and it shows us how he equips us. So in chapter 1, the very first thing that it says is, hey, he goes, kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. And I was like, wow, God, what does that mean? That sounds so intimate. But when you really look at that, what that is showing us is that it says we are asking him to equip us with his weapons. Now think about that. What, is, what are the weapons of our warfare? Well, it's obedience. Yes. That's a big one. It's yes. praise. Yes. It, because our praise, when we praise it, it silences the avenger. It's the word of God. It's the blood of Jesus. It's the power of our testimony. All the things that the enemy wants to shut down in us, that is what he says. He is totally... God says, I've equipped you with those things because that's how you're going to pull down the arguments. That's how you're going to pull down the strongholds, the name of Jesus, fasting, all of those things, discernment, all the gifts of the spirit. That's what we're asking him to equip us with. So the Song of Solomon, it starts, it's starting with salvation. It's starting with, this is what happens to you, daughter and uh, son of God, when you become part of him. These are the things that you're automatically equipped with. And but then it goes on, you know, and our love for him, of course, that salvation is super duper strong. Oh, we're willing to do whatever. You know, we love you so much, God. But then we find in chapter two, we find the bride uh, hiding behind a lattice. Well, what do you know about a lattice? You can actually see through it. It's right. still a wall, but you can see through it a little bit. Um, and even though we know that we're equipped with all these weapons, a lot of times we get what I call discombobulated. We forget that we have all these weapons and we start living instead from defeat. We let the enemy push us down, all that kind of stuff like that. And so we hide instead of shining. And so in chapter two, this, the whole song of Solomon shows us that even though we're immature and we have valleys and we have mountains, God is still with us the whole time. And that he, he knows these things. None of these things surprise him. It doesn't surprise him when I'd rather lay in my bed than get up. It doesn't surprise him when I let the enemy come and defeat me, but he wants me to know that I am always, that he's always there with me. So in chapter two, even though I'm not really trusting him right now because I'm hiding behind the lattice. He wants me to come out and go with him and go do different things with him and go witness. And I love him, but I don't really trust him. And so I'm not willing to like lay down my flesh so far. And and he knows that. And so then he says, he goes, oh, my darling bride, will you please just go get rid of the little foxes? Because those little foxes come in and they destroy the vineyard. They destroy the vine. They destroy our intimacy. And so I was like, well, what are the little foxes? It's all those distractions that keep us from following him, that keep us from going and doing the things that he wants us to do. And so he wants me to catch the little lies of doubt, catch the little lies of the enemy, all the striving, self-promotion, all those things are distractions that keep us from having intimacy with him. And so he wants me to get rid of all those things. And then in chapter three, he assures me, he goes, really, Jessica, really, I really do got this. I promise you um, that I am with you. And in the, in chapter three, if you look down, Bible's going to fall apart. If you look down in uh, chapter three, verse nine, it talks about how um, King Solomon, which is Jesus in this, um, 
in this uh, book of the Bible, it talks us, talks about how he created the perfect carriage for us. So think about Cinderella, because this is really where we get the Cinderella story from, and the perfect carriage. And he says that he's thought of everything that I need in this journey for life, and he's equipped his royal carriage, which is salvation. He's equipped wow. that with me wow. so I can go and he will go with me. And it's covered. And if you look in it, it says that it's covered in love. It's all totally inlaid in love. And that's what his covenant of uh, grace and peace is, is with me. It's perfect love. First John 4, 8 says, perfect love drives out all fear. And so I can journey through this life knowing that he completely, totally is with me through every valley, through every mountain that I go on. And then in chapter 4, he describes us, and it's so amazing to me how he describes us, and he tells us that as the bride, we have stolen his heart, and he says with just one glance of our eye toward him wow. that he goes wild with desire for us, and he tells That's us amazing. that we're like a garden to him, just for him and him alone, and he loves that, but then in chapter five, guess what happens? We get lazy. Surely that's never happened to you, huh? Oh, uh, of course it has. <laughs> I was like, what, are you serious? You still love me even when I don't Even do when I'm lazy. What I'm supposed to do. Right. And so if you read in chapter 5, it talks about how he has come to her, and he, he really wants us to get up out of our bed. But you know what we tell him? I've taken my shoes off. Do I really have to put my shoes back on? And then we say, oh, no, I've taken my robe off. Do I really have to put my robe back on? And the Bible says that he thrusts his hand through the door, and it is dripping with anointing. And so he's showing us that even while we're being lazy, he's like, I really do have everything he's you need. He's so amazing. He's so amazing. If you will just get up and trust me, get up and come on out, then come on. Come on. I'm with you, and you can. we can have that intimacy that we once had right, before. Right. But when we don't get rid of the foxes and we... And we're lazy. A lot of times it seems like there's a wall between us and him. But he assures us that he is not the one who's left. He's the one who's still there. And he's still calling us. He's still still pursuing us us because we are his bride. Then when we get to chapter 6, it's super duper cool. He calls us a word. He calls us Tirzah. And that it's a he says, you're as beautiful as Tirzah. And that's a place. And it means that he's pleased with me. That's how you translate that word. And then it says he thinks I'm as lovely as Jerusalem. Well, we know that Jerusalem is his dwelling place. Jerusalem is his city. And he, what he's saying is that I found a foundation of peace in him. And he even equips me. And he goes on and he says in verse uh, 4, he says, You're beautiful, my darling, as Tirzah, as lovely as Jerusalem. You're majestic as a troop with banners. That means when he looks at me, he sees that I am battle ready. He sees that I really am equipped with everything that he has put inside of me already. It's just I need to draw those things out. Then he tells me, after he tells me all this, he says, Whoo, girl, turn your eyes away from me because they overwhelm me. Because think about that. If just when I look at him, he goes that wild, what does he do when I actually spend time with him? What does he do when I actually give him my full attention and I'm not worried about my grocery list or what my kids are doing or what I go home to and I have to clean my house? What if I actually give him more than just a half a second of my day? That is how much he loves me when he tells me, whoo, turn your eyes from me because they overwhelm me. And then near the end of chapter six, he looks at me and he goes, you're my favorite one. Isn't that so cool? And you're his favorite one too, Callie. And he says that when other people look at me, that they're going to call me blessed. You know why? Because his desires have become my desires. And he even goes so far and he says, you know what? He goes, my soul, this is what he says. My soul has made me like the chariots of Amenadib. 
You know what that means? It means that my spirit is willing and that he's the one who drives me. No longer am I led by my flesh. No longer am I led by my soul. No longer is it my desires, but it's God. I have faith and trust in you. I love you so much. And I'm going to let you lead me through the rest of this journey. Right one here. of the things that is so apparent to me as you're going through this, and we're going to continue is the more I realize how much he loves me, yeah. the more my desires are to cooperate with him. Yes. It's, it's like the more you, the more you and I realize his love for us, the easier it is to obey him. It really is. It really is. That's, that's the biggest revelation of knowing. And the, and the cool thing is, is that if, when you read this, never does he condemn us. Even when we condemn ourselves, you know, we speak words of yuck of ourselves or we feel like we're failures. He's like, no, that's not how I see you. I see you through the blood of my son, Jesus. I see you. At the end, he sees the victory that is in us already. And that's what he keeps pulling out of us constantly because he loves us so much. It's so incredible. It It really is so very incredible. And he even tells me, he goes, he goes, the people that he sends to us, because that's what he wants to do. And throughout the book of the Song of Solomon, you'll see that he calls the other believers lilies. And, and he's able to bring other lilies to us because he knows that we have in us what they need to be right, fed right. and things like that. And he says that they're willing to stay and they actually beg to stay. You know how, Callie, whenever you walk in a room, it's like people just surround you because they see Jesus in you. They feel the Jesus in you. And that's what he's saying in the Song of Solomon. That's what he's saying right there is that you are just like that chariot of amenative. You're letting him lead you and guide you. And so others are begging to stay near you. Wow. Isn't that super duper cool? That is cool. And Revelation. Revelation 22, 4, it says, we shall see his face and his name shall be in our foreheads. And wow. that's what people are seeing in you when you're full of his spirit. Well, that's like right. Yeah, that's he's right. super cool. So at the end of chapter six, you know how uh, when a, a, a husband and wife get married, they have their first dance. Right. Do you know that we actually get that from the Song of Solomon too? And that we actually see the bride and the bridegroom dancing together. And it's their first dance together. And it's called the Dance of Manahim. And it means two camps sharing one place with God. Wow. It means that these two beings are no longer separate beings, but they're one. Wow. So his desires are my desires. Wow. And that's what I am going to do with my life is what he is speaking through me to others. So now the bride is ready for service, ready to be the helpmeet that I was always created from the very beginning to be. And the bridegroom is thrilled. He is so thrilled that he is going to describe us one more time in order for us to know. I mean, we have to really know because think about how much the enemy comes in with all the lies of, oh, who do you think you are? Oh, what do you mean you think you can do this? What do you mean you think you can get up and preach? And he says, no, 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 no. I want to tell you one more time exactly who who you are. And me. And so that's where we're going to go to tonight. We're going to read the Song of Songs. It's going to be chapter 7, verse 1 through 10. Okay. Um, go on and take the time okay. and, and let's read that. Let's okay. Because then we're going to break it down because it's going to sound pretty intentional. You're going to be like, how are you going to get okay. this stuff out of here? But when you study these words out in Hebrew, and you have to remember too that the Song of Songs is written with an Oriental background. Okay. It's an Oriental love song. And so you have to study and know about the Oriental culture to be able to figure out a lot of these things. Okay. So I'm going to read chapter 7, 1 through 10. I just want you to listen to this. Okay. It's such a beautiful way that he describes us. It's how beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of a craftsman's hands. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. 
Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are like the pools of Heshbon by the gates of Bathrabbin. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. How beautiful you are and how pleasing. Oh, love with your delights. Your stature is like that of a palm and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree and I will take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like the clusters of the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. May the wine go straight to my lover, flowing gently over the lips and teeth. I belong to my lover, and his desire is for me. This is a huge deal of what he's telling us, and we're going to break it down, and we're going to take it step by step, and we're going to start with the feet. So go back to verse 1 right there and look at what he says. He says, How beautiful are your feet with shoes, O prince's daughter. And some versions say, O queenly maiden. What he's doing here is he's speaking of our nobility. He's reminding me, I am royalty. I'm of the royal household. I'm ready to stand, and I have shoes on. You know, it's a big deal to have shoes on because in the Old Testament, being barefoot was a symbol of mourning. So he's saying, my bride is not in mourning. My bride is full of joy. I can stand even when the winds are blowing against me. I can still have joy and I can stand knowing that he is my victory. All I have to do is stand right there. Just like that verse says, I can stand in the evil day. And when I've done all I can do, all I have to do is stand. And I can stand full of joy. My feet also have been washed in the water of his word. Jesus has washed my feet. His word is a lamp into my feet and he's guiding me. He's established me and he's keeping me and I'm walking in love. That's what he sees when he looks at me, the bride, his feet. He says that I'm walking in love. Then what's going to keep my feet going right? Well, it's my thighs. And this is a good time, and it's good to have big thighs right there. <laughs> he says at the end of verse 1, he says, The joints, the roundness of your thighs are like jewels. And I was like, okay, God, what do thighs represent? Well, if you look back through the Bible at other verses, thighs always represent spiritual strength. Wow. And that spiritual strength can only come through lots of spiritual dis- uh, discipline and training. Wow. It's not an overnight kind of thing there. It is yeah. It is through work, work, work. I'm standing with loins girded about with truth. My round thighs, that's giving me the strength I need to be able to move my feet. Because I can't move my feet if I'm not spiritually strong. strong. I right. have to be spiritually strong. Or otherwise, when my feet, which are supposed to be full of joy, if all these storms are coming against me, I'm not going to be full of joy. I'm going to be full of my circumstances right. and full of the yuck that's going on around me. But because I have spiritual strength, because I have the word inside and I know what the word says, I can stand on that. So he's admiring the ornaments that are hanging around my thighs. And those ornaments are words of truth. So he's saying, you are full of my truth. That's why he can send other people to his bride because his bride is full of truth. She is stable. She is strong. She is standing right there where she needs to be. And then he looks and he says, whoo, the work of the hands of a cunning workman. So the cool thing is, is to notice that not anything that I have done makes me beautiful, but by what someone else has done. And that someone else is an expert artist. Who do you think that might be? Right. Yep. It's him. Jesus himself. He says, I'm God's handiwork. I'm created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared in advance for me to do. So he's just affirming that in me. He's like, look, I created you before time even began. I had thought about you, Jessica. And so now here you are. And let me tell you who I created you to be. Let me tell you that one more time. 
Now, the cool thing is he doesn't go quickly. He just kind of takes his own sweet time to admire me and to tell me everything that he has put in me that has equipped me for his service just because he loves me. So then he goes into my belly button, which he calls in the book of songs, he calls it my navel. And he says, your navel is like a round goblet that never lacks blended wine. Well, when you look up the word navel in Hebrew, it means umbilical cord. What is an umbilical cord to a baby? inside of its, its mama. It's the life-giving. That's exactly right. it. It is the total lifeline. So he's saying that I'm spiritually sustained by someone other than myself, wow. which is what he wants me to be anyway. Right. He wants me to be totally, completely dependent on him because he's the one that caused me to be born of the Spirit in the first That's place. That's so Think amazing. about that. Yes. Colossians, it says, he is my life. His blood literally runs through my, my veins. Then it talks about blended wine there. So I looked up that. I was like, what does blended wine mean? That means the most Motives are pure. Wow. You know, there's no hidden agenda. There's right. no, I'm trying to promote myself. It is purely love for him and love for others. And when you look up wine, wine also symbolizes joy. So he's saying that, so he's loving that I'm nourished by his blood and I'm constantly filled with strength and life and joy. Isn't that awesome that, that he sees so that all awesome. through? I just love that. And then in verse two, he talks about our waste. Another good time for us to have a big waste. <laughs> And he says, your waist or your belly, it's a mound. It is a heap of wheat. Can you imagine Maybe that? Women out there? <laughs> I love it. Your waist, your belly is a mound, a heap of wheat encircled or set about with by lilies. Well, when you look up belly and you study that out, that symbolizes your inward parts. That's where your emotions are formed. You know how you always say, I have a gut feeling about right, that? sure. That's what he's talking about right there. And wheat, according to Psalm, it symbolizes satisfaction and being filled. Wow. And in John 12, 24, it tells me that Jesus himself is the grain of wheat that satisfies me. Isn't so he's seeing great? all of those things in me. And he's seeing in me a grain offering. Well, if you study out about grain offerings, that's a voluntary offering offering. It's made to God because I love him so yes. much. It's my free will. It's not just I'm offering a little bit of myself to him. He sees a whole mound of it there. He sees a whole mound of praise. So it's not like I just come on Sunday mornings and give him a little bit of worship. It's a daily it's thing a daily throughout our life. It's yes. like you can wake up in the morning and your spirit is singing to him. And yes. You know, and you go to bed at night and you're singing. You wake up in the middle of the night yes. and you're singing praises to him. Yes. That's what it is. That's what he's saying. I see this whole mound. It's not that you're doing something in front of people. It is a lifestyle, which is how he wants us to live. And so then he says, I'm surrounded by other lilies. Well, we just talked about that. Other lilies are other believers. And he sees me worshiping with other believers and he loves it. That's why the scripture says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Yes. Don't don't let the enemy keep you from coming and going to a church, a spiritual church where there are other people that are worshiping. There's power in our praise. Yes, There's yes. power in our praise right there. And he loves it because he knows it helps to equip equip me. Because the number one tactic of the enemy, I think, is to keep us isolated. Because if right. he can use me isolated, then he's almost one. Yes. We're good. We're good. Keep okay. going. Keep going. So he loves it when I get together with others. He loves it when I talk about uh, how wonderful he is. That's what he tells me that I'm even supposed to talk about to begin with. You know why? Because we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So here he is in the Song of Songs in chapter 7, and he's speaking major life over us. He's showing us that we're totally, completely equipped to live as the bride. I'm ready to walk. I'm ready for evangelism. I am bejeweled with his word. Yes. I'm filled with joy and strength from his blood. I am totally surrounded by other believers who are all worshiping him in one mind and one accord. 
and I'm satisfied and I'm fulfilled in him. But there is even more. Can you believe there's even more? Yeah. So, you know, I, I love this. I'm going to go back and reread this whole book with a whole do, super do, yeah, really with a whole different set of eyes. And I, you know, I've read my Bible through many times, but when you start liking it under the church, it's amazing. It the revelation that comes out. We're going to take a few minutes and we're going to um, have a song here by Jesus culture called song of Solomon. And it's a, it's a pretty long song. It's about eight minutes long, but I want you to just begin to ask Holy spirit as Jessica is talking and teaching to reveal to him and open up your understanding of how much he loves us what he paid, the price he paid to bring us back to him as his bride, to, to give us the uh, positional authority that we have as his bride. You know, he did all the work. Yes, he, he, did. he paid the price for us to be redeemed back, back unto him. He paid the price so that we can walk in this amazing authority and, and have the benefits of the bride. And, all, and he wants to open up our understanding because really you can't, the Bible says without knowledge, we perish. Right. And what that means is without knowledge, without the understanding of what is ours, we won't walk in, a, in that, in that beauty or in that glory. Right. I can get, you know, somebody can give me a million dollars, but if I don't have a checkbook with the account number and I'm not using it, that, that money just sits there. But the minute I ha understand that that is mine and I have access to it, then I begin to operate as if I am a king or a millionaire. That's right. Well, we are literally the bride of Christ. We are royalty. We are. We have a major authority in the in the spirit, in the kingdom, um, in the spirit world. There's no devil in hell that can overcome us. Right. We have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that go before us and equip us. So, understanding who we are as the bride of Christ is going to really open up our our ability to walk in the power and the authority that God has given us. So, enjoy this song by Jesus Culture, and we'll be right back with you. And, and Jessica's going to finish taking us through um, this teaching. Thank you.
We could rush on, but let's just let's just wait for a moment, okay? We're so excited. I've got my pastor, friend, mentor, uh, 
we've been friends since we were young girls and done a whole lot of Jesus together. Yes. And, and she is talking about the song of Solomon and we are studying seven through one through 10 and we're on verse three. So we're going to pick right back up Miss Jessica. All right. We have been talking about equipping of the bride and we've been talking about um, our bridegroom and how he's going through and he is just reaffirming us yet one more time and telling us truly who we are so that we will choose to believe his words instead of the words of the enemy which are pure lies. So we're going to pick up in verse 3. Um, we've already talked about our feet. We've talked about our thighs. Um, we've talked about those things, and now we're on our breasts. It says, Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. <laughs> that sounds good. I know. Pastor Dolly said, Ooh, you're going to talk about that? I said, Hey, it's scripture. It's in the Bible. You know what? But it's not really what people think. Breast symbolize faith and love, according to Thessalonians. And so, you know what he's telling me? He's telling me I'm equally filled with those two things. Because wow. at first, if you look back, and you remember when we were talking about in chapter two, the lattice, we were talking about how the bride is full of love, but she didn't yet have enough faith to really go out and trust him and to do what it was that he had called her to do. But when he looks at us and he affirms us, here we are in chapter seven, and he's saying that they're equal. Faith and love yes. are equal right there. I'm equally filled with both of those things. And since those are now equal, I'm ready to step out of my comfort zone and actually do what he's asked me to do. Wow. I'm ready to break away from things that are familiar and embrace new things for me. It could even be as simple as, Jessica, I want you to walk to the other side of the church and go talk to that person uh, that's sitting on row three in seat two, Right. you know, where before I'd be like, Oh, uh, -uh I don't know that person. I don't, you know, what, what are they going to say to me? I'm not going to do that. Or it could be as simple as when you're shopping at HEB smiling at the cashier. I mean, just simple, easy little things that he's asking us to do to step out of our comfort zone, being directed by the Holy spirit that's and right. knowing that he is the one that gives us the strength to obey him. That's right. And that when we step out and do it, that faith and grace mm -hmm. will be there to that's walk right. us through, to it. walk us through it. And you know, you just don't know what that's going to do to that other person. Just a simple Absolutely. smile could totally, completely change their day. Right. Um, then he goes on in verse 4, and he talks about the neck. He talks about how our neck is an ivory tower. Well, if you look in the Word, the neck always symbolizes the human will. And he says stiff-necked people are people who don't submit to right. their will. Right. But he says, I'm looking at you, my bride, and you are not stiff-necked. Um, he is the head, I'm the body, and his, my neck right there is moving back and forth according to what he is telling me to do. I'm not stiff-necked. Wow. Then he says it's like an ivory tower. Well, ivory, it always symbolizes suffering and sacrifice because, you know, the only way to get ivory is for something to die. Well, the ivory that is a part of me has become, um, it's, it's from my bridegroom's death. Victory over evil. That's what he has done for me by his death on the cross. Right. And that's what is a part of me now. Ivory is also very difficult to break, with it, which is a good thing because it will truly take his strength to be able to do what he's asked me to do. Wow. I cannot wow. do it in my strength at all. I have to have his strength. And so he says that my, my neck has become an ivory tower. Now, what do you know about a tower? A tower is tall. A tower is a lookout. It means I become a tower where other young believers, they can run to me for protection from the enemy. Right. I can stand firm in who I am and who he is in me. And you can see, you can look out and you can see the enemy coming. Uh, he also sees pureness in me because ivory is white and I, and white always symbolizes pureness. The word of God in me is pure. Right. The bride always speaks truth out in love because truth is what sets others free. And so he's reminding me that that is who I am and that is what is inside of me. Well, at this point in time, he's, he's talked about a whole bunch of different body parts. 
um, of mine, but those things are all uh, spiritual symbols. And at this point in time, we're completely overwhelmed by his goodness toward us. We have to be because the next thing he describes is our eyes. And he says that they're swimming with joy. They're swimming. You know, think about it. When someone is telling you something and you're just so overwhelmed, what happens? Your eyes just well up with tears and right. tears start to flow. Um, but, and we are seeing this pure joy and this pure happiness because we know that how he sees us, it puts us at total peace and total rest. And he even tells us that in verse four, he says, your eyes are like the fish pools of Heshbon by the gates of Beth Rabin. Well, before in the Song of Songs, at the first uh, couple chapters, he described our eyes like dove's eyes. That means that they're set on him and him alone because a dove will only concentrate on one thing at a time. And that's what he wants from us. But now he even sees more in our eyes. He sees Heshbon's water. If you look up Heshbon's water, you'll see that it was still and it was quiet. It was ready for use. And there's an abundance of it. Think about that. The bride, um, for him to be able to send other people to us, we have to be stable and we have to be consistent. We can't have days where we're super duper up or days that we're super duper down right. and, you know, all this kind of stuff to where if somebody is sent to us needing something, what state of mind are we going to be in right. that day? There has to right. be some stability there. And so he says that I look at you, my daughter, and I see that the water is still and quiet. It's ready for use. And there's an abundance of it. That's what Heshbon's water symbolizes. And then he says they're like fish pools. Well, if you look at fish pools, they're always open to the light. It's something that's not hidden, but it's still and quiet and ready to use. And if you if you uh, research the word Heshbon, it means to actively meditate and think about something. So he loves the fact that my eyes, he can look in my eyes and he can see that I am meditating on him wow. and his works and all of his mighty deeds. And he loves that my mind is steadfast on him because I trust him. So it doesn't matter what's going on in our world. It doesn't matter what's going on in our nation. We know... We know who we are in him, and we know the victory that really is assured to us if I will just look at myself the way he looks at me. So he's looking at my eyes, and he says, you're ready to minister. You're ready to refresh others by the water of the word that's within us. It actually shows in your eyes wow. that you're at perfect peace and you're complete rest. That's so awesome. I know. He's just super-duper cool. And he says that the fish pools of Heshbon are by the gates of Bath Rabin. Well, the word Bath Rabin, it means daughter of abundance. So he doesn't just give me a little bit of equipping. He gives me a lot of equipping. He says, I'm equipped with abundance from him. I'm abundantly filled with him, abundantly filled with his spirit. And when you're abundantly filled, you can't help but overflow. Right. And when you overflow, who does it get on? It gets everybody on everybody around all around you. It's like you walk into a room and people know there's something different because they can feel the Holy Spirit inside of you. And that's what he's saying that is right. Can you imagine if all Kazillion Christians in the world really knew who they were and really saw themselves as what he, how he sees us? We would command his presence. Well, that everywhere. is actually what establishing the kingdom is. Yeah. When we begin to understand who we are, what we have a hold of, mm -hmm. what the authority that we walk in, yeah. we're ambassadors. We're we walk ambassadors. in an authority of a kingdom of heaven. So exactly. we're called to establish his kingdom here. Yeah. When we understand that, then the kingdom of God is established on earth. That's right. And we begin to operate in miracles, signs, wonders, faith, yep. provision, Follow anointing, healing. Everything that's in the Bible is ours. Mm -hmm. But until we understand who we are, until we get a, a real, real glimpse. And, it, and really, when I say glimpse, even when we think we have full understanding, it's yeah, really it's a glimpse. A glimpse. Yeah. Uh, but when we get that glimpse and we, get, we begin to understand who we are, then we begin to operate yes. according 
to the word of God, word of God. and, and, and the supernatural becomes a natural state of being for and us. It changes everything, not only for us, but for everybody around us. It really does. It's an amazing thing. He doesn't even stop there, though, with us, Callie. He goes on and he talks about our nose. This is also a good time when it's good to have a big nose. <laughs> I've, got, I've, got that, I've got that big Tower of Babel nose. <laughs> well, there you go. This one in verse 4, he says, Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. Because your nose is all about spiritual discernment. You yes. know how you can say, I smell a rat? Right. Well, that's how he, he wants his bride to be. He wants us to be able to smell, to know spiritual discerning things, to see um, and to detect things that are harmful to our soul or to right. those around us. Now, if you look up Damascus, Damascus symbolizes our perpetual enemy. Damascus is a perpetual enemy of Israel. Right. And Lebanon represents stability, a pleasant fragrance, fruitfulness, and transformation. Lebanon also means the word white, which always represents purity and righteousness. So he's seeing that, hey, he goes, hey, you know what? Your nose, it's a tower. It's big and tall and long, and you're always able to smell the rat. You're not um, You're not taken in by the devil's schemes, not only for yourself, but for others, too. You, you have, have spiritual discernment right wow. there that's what he's saying um they're sharpened our discernment is sharpened we're not easily fooled by our enemy our nose is actually pointed toward damascus is what that scripture says toward our enemies to where we are not um confused in the slightest so we don't have to walk in confusion we don't have to walk in that kind of stuff we can truly walk in the uh the mind of christ right the mind of christ and then he looks at our head and he says your head it actually crowns you like mount carmel Mount Carmel. Think about Mount Carmel. That's yes. the place that Elisha defeated the prophets of Baal. Mount Carmel is always referenced as a point. It's a symbol of beauty and fertility. So he's pleased with what is going on in my mind. He's pleased with what I choose to think on. It's beautiful thoughts and it's fertile thoughts. I can cast down all the thoughts of hatred that the enemy tries to stick inside of me. And I can replace those with thoughts of love. And he says, my mind is girded yes. up. So he says, your head crowns you with victory and beauty and fertility. Then he goes on and he talks about my hair. And you know what he says? It's good to have purple hair. How cool is that? Is that good? <laughs> I think that's so awesome. Yeah. And he says, your hair is like a royal tapestry, like purple. The king is held captive by its tresses. So I looked at purple dyes. Like, what's the deal with that? Well, that is the most expensive dye to make in the ancient days. Purple, of course, is always also a symbol of royalty and wealth. So he's saying, girl, you are beyond rich in me. And hair is a covering. It's made to be seen. So it's saying that the bride, you display your royal heritage. Everybody who looks on you knows without a doubt that you are his because wow. you are on display. He is on display in our life. And he is held captive by that. Wow. He sees himself on display in our life. He loves that. People don't have to guess if you're a Christ follower no, or not. They can they look at you and tell. To. They should be able to look at you and tell. And then he goes on and he says in verse 6, How fair, how beautiful you are. How pleasing, O oh love, with your delights. You know that he finds great joy and pleasure in us. He delights in his people. That's what Psalm 149.4 says. And why is he telling us that, you know, why is it such a big deal that he tells us that he delights in us? Because you know what? The more someone tells me, the more someone affirms me, you know what it does? It just confirms and it increases my focus on him. Sure. You know, that's why he doesn't come at me with con condemnation and stuff. He comes at me with love. Um, why? Because that just draws me closer and closer to him. I'm like, I love this bridegroom. I love this Savior. Well, who... you know, that's the, that's the beauty of relationship with Holy Spirit yes. and with understanding what Jesus gave us. I've always said, and there's this is this is kind of a, a a law. What you honor, yeah. What you honor with your mouth and your heart, you bring close to you. What yes. you dishonor, 
you you will literally separate yourself from. That's good. Now that works with people, that works with relationships, that works with everything in our life. But the Lord even brings this this principle home because he does nothing but honor his honor. bride. That's what he does constantly through this whole book. Even in our immaturity, he still is calling us and telling us who we are. In yes. Him. He's so encouraging in everything he says. That is us. a lesson for us when we're trying to help others, that we must be careful that we honor and speak God's life yes. over them and don't focus on the negative. That's Everybody right. has negative. That's right. Every, every, every child you have will have negative. Every le- relationship will have negative aspects. Every person you meet. But when we focus on honor, like Holy Spirit is showing us that Jesus honors us. He yes, honors he us. Totally honors God us. honors us. He honors his bride. And so when we begin to see that honor and receive it, we draw close Yes. to the bridegroom. Yes. And uh, so this is a real life lesson in every area of our life. In every area. Yep. And then he goes on in, in verse seven, he talks about our stature being like that of a palm. Well, stature means level of achievement. And he says, your level of achievement is like that of a palm. If you see a palm tree, no matter where you see it, that always means there's water close by. Even in the middle of a desert, that's what travelers would look for. They would look for that palm because they knew that if they could just find that palm, there was going to be water close by. And he says, I have the word of the water in me. I'm a great place of rest for the weary believer. And if you think about it, just visualize in your mind what a palm tree looks like in the trunk and how it's consistent from the base to the top. That's what he sees in his bride, consistency. Wow. He can trust to send people there, to send people to you, Callie, because he's found that you are consistent. Yes. You're consistently in the word. You consistently have the word right there on your on your mouth ready to speak out. And then a palm, it bears fruit. And the fruit supports a wide variety of wildlife. And just like our spiritual fruit, it's varied and it's ready to help many different people. Um, also, the, the wood from a palm tree is used for building bridges. Think about that wow. spiritually and what that means. Wow. He's saying that me, as a bride of Christ, I am useful for building bridges between cultures and between people and right. between him and, and people who are lost and people who are in need of a Savior. So good. That's, what, that's what my job is, and that's what he's equipping me to do right there. And also, a palm tree is able to withstand violent winds, meaning I can withstand the winds of ad, ad, adversity. Think about that, because it's not all hunky-dory, you know, being no. a, a Jesus follower. There are lot, lots of times the enemy comes against you, right. and sometimes he comes against you, and it's people that you love, you know, and their words hurt and their words harm and stuff. But he's saying that you're a palm. Your stature is like that of a palm. You can even withstand those things that go like that. You have great flexibility, and you can still come back, stand straight up again after that storm passes. And then even the palm branches mean something. They're a symbol of victory. Do you know that the temple was decorated with palm branches? And I'm the temple of the living God. So he says that you are victory, Jessica. You have the victory inside of you right there. He just keeps going on and on, and he continues all the way down. And then he gets down. We're going to skip down, and we're going to go to verse 8. And it talks about the fragrance of your breath like apples. It means our whole very being is permeated with him. Way back, if you go back to chapter 2, verse 3, the bride told him, uh, she looked at him and she said, well, you're my apple tree. In the middle of a forest, you're the one who stands out. You're the one who has the fruit. And now the very breath of her very breath that comes out shows that she has eaten those apples. She has eaten of his spiritual strength. And every word that comes out of her blesses God. But you know what apples symbolize? Apples symbolize the wisdom of God's law that is so awesome isn't that amazing that is so, so he awesome. just goes on and on and on and the very the most important i think verse out of all that is verse 10 where it says i belong to my lover and you and see if you really want to live the life of a victorious warrior bride you have to get it it's about dying to ourself and letting him be our lover 
His desire has to be for me. And that's what it says in verse 10. His desire is for me. If I could really just get that statement, it's going to truly change the way I live. It'll change the way that I think, the way I respond, the way I pray and praise and walk. I have to get the fact that his desire is for me. Because Acts 17, 28 says, for in him we live and we move and we We have our being. Yes. Yes. So faithful, so constant, so loving and so true, so powerful in all you do. You fill me, you see me, you know my every move, you love for me to sing to you.
Okay, we're so excited. We're going to read some declarations. This has been such an amazing uh, broadcast, equipping of the bride, the understanding of who we are as the bride of Christ. And Miss Jessica, if you will read those so that we can uh, pray and close out our broadcast. Exactly, and I'm going to read some scripture thoughts to you, and I want you to hear them from the viewpoint of the bride. Okay. With the revelation that our bridegroom is absolutely wild about you. Okay, you ready? Here we go. If my beloved is for me, who can be against me? My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches. Philippians 4.19. I am able to do all things through him who is strengthening me. Philippians 4.13. I am trusting my true love. That's him. With all my heart, I will not lean on my own understanding. I will acknowledge him in all my ways. And my beloved will continually direct my paths according to Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Since I am delighting myself entirely in him whom my soul loves, he shall give me the desires of my heart. Psalm 37, 4 through 5. I have committed my way to him and I trust my beloved fully. He will bring everything that is right, good, pure, and true to pass in my life. How wonderfully freeing it is for us when we get to this point in our relationship with him, when we really know that he loves us with all his heart and his only desires for us are good. That's so awesome. Lord, I just pray blessing on everyone that's listening here today. Uh, on the BPN network. I just pray, God, that you would open up our understanding uh, of who we are in you, Lord, what this powerful thing called the Bride of Christ really is and has the authority to do. And God, give us understanding. We thank you for this teaching. We pray, God, that it sinks deep into our heart like a shaft and brings forth a huge fruit in our lives. We thank you for what you did on Calvary. We thank you, God, for what was bought back through your blood. We thank you, Lord, that we we are your beloved. We are your beloved, and we have the anointing and the authority to walk in that blessing and that power and we just give you the praise and the glory and I pray blessing on your on the hearers today everyone that's tuned in I just pray blessing on everyone that they would begin to grasp and understand the authority and the power and the anointing they walk in I want to tell you that if you've ever missed any of our episodes you can go to iTunes or Podbean and uh, go to Warrior Chicks and you can pull those up uh, all of our programs are such a blessing. We have so many different guests, and I've so much enjoyed having Jessica uh, this morning. So be blessed. Uh, tune in. We'll see you next week, and have a great day. For the past hour, you've been listening to The Warrior's Watch with Pastor Callie Hargraves as your host. For more information concerning this program, go to bpnradio.com.